0: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark, and QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. Our very special guest on today's episode is one of my musical heroes from the early 80s, Martin Ware, founder of the Human League and Heaven 17, whose singles and albums I listened to on permanent loop in my mid to early teens, along with a movement of electronic music pioneers to emerge onto the popular scene at those times, including Gary Newman, Depeche Mode, ABC, the whole Blitz Club gang, many of whom appear as guests on my personal favourite podcast, Electronically Yours with Martin Ware, of which I genuinely never miss an episode. As you'll hear in the introduction to Martin that I read from his LinkedIn page at the start of this episode, Martin is still as passionate and pioneering with sound today as he was at the latter end of the 70s. He's now on the boards of companies like the PRS Advisory and the Ivor Novello Awards, not to mention his 3D soundscape company, Illustrious, which he set up with his friend and fellow electronic music legend, Vince Clark of Depeche Mode, Yazoo and Erasure fame. And I guess it's his 3D soundscape work with Illustrious which has really brought him to the Quiet Mart podcast. Regular listeners to our show, which I'm pleased to announce was recently voted in the top 20 health and well-being podcasts in the UK by beststartup.co.uk and ranked in the top 10% most listened to podcasts out of 2.4 million worldwide. So thank you to all our listeners and guests very much for that. Well, you may have heard in one of our past episodes, the Noise Abatement Society Managing Director, Lisa Levere, talk about the soundscape-based experiment that the Noise Abatement Society did in Brighton called the West Street Project, which Martin was creative, music director on. You'll hear me ask Martin about his involvement in that project in this program, and to explain his involvement, Lisa Levia, in her episode, talked about the acoustic ecology. The acoustic ecology, sometimes called ecoacoustics or soundscape studies, is a discipline studying the relationship, mediated through sound, between human beings and their environment. Sound ecology emerged in the late 1960s through the work of R. Murray Schaefer and his colleagues at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. Soundscape ecology is another term which is sometimes used interchangeably with acoustic ecology. Both scientists and artists have embraced this field in order to understand more about our sonic environment and try to improve it, as well as draw inspiration from and raise awareness about its current and ever-changing state. As Lisa stated in her episode, and so did Dr. Elif Vieira from Chew Delft in hers, and so did Dr. Marcia Jenneth Epstein, the author of Sound and Noise, A Listener's Guide to Everyday Life in her episode. They all mentioned the acoustic ecology, and they all suggested that if you're going to embark on making something be it a product, a building, a place, anything always involve an artist in the mix of the team. And they claim that artists, perhaps unlike the bean counting financial directors who are more practical or pragmatic, Artists will bring out that human element in any project, and they'll bring that magical quality to a project, which is vital if the project is going to truly connect with its end user. So here is an introduction to a truly original artist who we're very fortunate and thankful to welcome to the Quiet Mart podcast. Enjoy the show, because here comes a human who is in a league of his own, the one, the only, Martin Ware. Martin Ware was born in 1956 in Sheffield, UK. After leaving school, he worked in computers for three years, and then in 1978, he formed the legendary synth pop band and experimental electronic outfit, The Human League. He also formed a production company label called British Electric Foundation in 1980 and formed Heaven 17 the same year. Martin has written, performed and produced two Human League, two BEF and nine Heaven 17 albums, and as a record producer and artist has featured on recordings totalling over 50 million sales worldwide, producing Tina Turner, Terence Trent D'Arby, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Eric mm-hmm. Raja, Mark Armand and Mavis Staples and many others. In 2000, He founded Illustrious Limited with fellow synth legend Vince Clarke of Depeche Mode Yazoo Erasure fame to exploit the creative and commercial possibilities of their unique, three-dimensional sound technology in collaboration with fine artists, the performing arts and corporate clients around the world. Clients include BP, Ogilvy, the British Council, the Science Museum, the Royal Ballet, Amnesty International, the V&A Museum, Mute Records, BBC TV, the Royal Observatory Greenwich, BAFTA, Museum of London, Tate Britain, Red Bull Music Academy and City of Westminster Council to name but a few. Martin also lectures extensively on music production, technology and creativity at universities and colleges across the world. He's also a renowned DJ, particularly of electronic music, spinning the decks in Mexico, Zimbabwe, Australia, all over Europe, New York, Los Angeles, well, when you're allowed to go out at least. Martin, welcome to
1: the show. Al, thank you very much. Very kind. I'm quite impressed with myself listening to that.
0: <laughs> you should be. It's not a bad CV, is it? No, it's not bad, no. And of course, where we come together is that a guest a couple of episodes ago was Lisa Lavia, who's the managing director of the Noise Abatement Society. And during that show, she talked about Murray Schaefer, the godfather of acoustics, and his theory that there's no such thing as uh, a bad sound. Sound is subjective, he said, but it's about the way that sound is orchestrated. And she was holding us a story which you were involved with, the West Street story, where to encapsulate it in a nutshell, it's the clubbing district of Brighton and the residents, she was telling me, were concerned that they couldn't differentiate between the sounds after the clubs poured out of someone in distress or just people having a bit of a drunken time and going home. And the residents weren't complaining about the noise, but they just wanted to be able to understand that differentiation. And she said that Murray Schaefer said, if you're going to design anything in terms of space or product, get an artist on board. And you were the artist on board in trying to provide a solution for West Street in Brighton. I'd love to hear the story from your perspective, please.
1: Okay. Um, I was... Asked by uh, Lisa, who I'd been in contact with for a while, about uh, the Noise Abatement Society, which is quite ironic considering all I all I do is make noise. Um, <laughs> I like that. Well, I'm a drummer. Uh, I work
0: for Quiet Mark, so there you
1: go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, and we we determined to kind of work together. I, I was doing lots of various installations using my three D. Uh, sound projects uh, together with my friend Vince Clark from Eurasia uh, composing immersive environments, in usually in public um, public environments uh, you know uh, urban environments to maybe alter the experience of people uh, in unexpected places like you know, city squares or parks or. Um, but in this case Lisa approached me and said look I'm talking to uh, Brighton, Brighton Council, City of Brighton Council, and they're interested in this problem they got in this particular junction between West Street and the whatever the road's called on the seafront, mm-hmm. uh, which is the convergent point of the nightclub uh, life of Brighton, which at the weekends uh, amounts to a capacity of about ten thousand people. So you get a lot of kind of people coming from out of town to do uh, hen and stag nights. A lot of people from the hinterland of Brighton come into town who don't live there Mm. on Friday in particular, Fridays and Saturday nights, and uh, they go to the bars all across Brighton and then come into this one particular area the bottom of West Street where they're all anxiously, uh, usually pissed. (laughs) <laughs> or enhanced in some manner, or both. Yeah. Uh. To to get they just want to get in the nightclub basically. Yeah. So um, or there's a series of nightclubs there. Anyway, so they said, why don't you come down and check it out, see what you think, because we want to do a study with the University of Sussex behavioral scientists, looking at how people behave and see you know if we can come up with some uh some way of making this better. Using sound, so I went down there. Went down there, it was a month before uh Halloween, right? And <clears throat> and it was a war zone essentially. Um, at the time we went down there, mm-hmm. um, everybody was off their nuts, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of anxiety and uh, just general chaotic behavior mm-hmm. uh, there were there were four or five police cars with uh, dogs in the back uh, creating a kind of sense of tension okay um, and people were falling over people were getting pushed there were fights breaking out um all the above really oh. and um just general antsiness you know mm. and i thought well <clears throat> firstly two things one is I think this is an interesting challenge because we'd already done a lot of immersive soundscapes in relatively calm environments. And we knew that the the stuff that we did had a positive effect on people's kind of perception of where they were and what they were doing. And we'd done various things actually in city centres as well. Mm -hmm. For instance, we put a big soundscape in on um, Regent Street in London on on a day when they obviously shut everything down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've done things like that So it wasn't And, and Trafalgar Square And Leicester Square Etc, cetera, etc cetera. Um, Let's have a go So um, We said But there are a couple of conditions One is we have to have uh, uh, We have to Have an armoured porter cabin <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which we can do the DJing from Or the kind of a, Shall we say the, atmos- the, the ambience DJing from Yeah because if the if the if the customers start turning awkward, uh, I am not going to be put in any kind of danger, and I'm not being melodramatic here. It was a place of potential danger because it was just Celtic. Uh, so they agreed to that. They agreed. I said, and I want guards outside, and I want a further, uh, I want further um, uh, barriers between us and them uh, outside the the porter cabin but i need to be able to see what's going on and hear what's going on so we did that um and they agreed to that so uh, a month later on uh, halloween we put a 3d soundscape capability at the bottom of west street which is about 100 meters long by the width of the road which is about 25 meters by about 10 meters high mm-hmm. so we, we mounted two rings of speakers in that kind of rhomboid, rhomboidal fashion, whatever it is, yeah, um, two two layers of speakers within which we could move sounds around. And the intention was that we pre-prepared a lot of stuff that we'd already uh, worked on on previous projects, plus some new stuff to try uh, as an experiment to see what the effect. The Guardian uh, described it as sea samples, Eno-esque soundscapes,
0: and Beyoncé's countdown played at half speed. <laughs>
1: uh, that was just some of it. We actually did our first ever song that we did with the Human League, "Being Boiled." They did a special it. version of it, which uh, started at full speed and imperceptibly slowed down in an effort to um, until it, you know, basically ground to a halt at the end of the song. Uh, 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 in an effort to kind of subconsciously slow down the heartbeat of the of the uh, the crowd um, so anyway yes it, so it was we prepared about three hours worth of this stuff and we were right. going to start at 10 in the evening but in the in the afternoon we did a sound check and uh, which is quite interesting because obviously it's during daylight and Uh, people didn't know what was going on. There were no flyers anywhere. There were no posters saying, or billboards saying, we're going to do this. Right. The the intention was for it to be a clean experiment. Nobody was to know what was going on. Uh, Or none of the kind of consumers, if you like. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were going to be people from the university live streaming uh, the, the whole thing back to University of Sussex when it was actually in full effect later on. Uh, so people could live analyse what was going on. It was a bit like a kind of reality TV show in a way, I suppose. Yeah. Um, anyway, so in the afternoon when we were doing the sound check, we had, a, uh, we, had uh, we were testing various of the soundscape elements. One, the most interesting of which was uh, the seascape in three dimensions. So this, if you close your eyes, would... Uh, sounded like you were in a boat say i don't know where the waves were starting to break when they were coming onto land so you could hear waves around you Mm um in all directions and of course we were right next to the sea or rather like 50 meters away at least yeah it was a calm day so you couldn't hear any waves real waves uh but you could you know it's a busy traffic road so you could hear traffic Anyway, we were, trying, we were playing back the wavescape, and we were experimenting. What, the idea for these soundscapes is to have them at a level, a, a, a dB level, which is uh, clearly audible, but not, over, not dominating the environment. That's not the idea at all. It's meant to merge with the environment. Right. So, in in our case, it normally amounts to depending on ambient uh, ambient noise conditions, around about seventy dB. Okay. Like. So we were we were slowly bringing up the the uh, wavescape in this sound check we were doing mm-hmm. from like say fifty dB upwards, and it got to about sixty, which it shouldn't, uh, which is below the ambient kind of traffic noise and stuff and um, the weirdest thing happened it was like some switch uh, in 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 my brain was switched or uh, and it looked like it was for the uh, people who were just wandering past as well the way, the sound of the waves mm-hmm. suddenly replaced the ambient sound around it must have been something to do with the 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 way that the brain processes sound and the way that your brain says, right, we need to pay attention to this now because it's more important than what you, what's in the, what's louder. Yeah. And it, it was literally, I, w- I was watching just like mums with their kids wandering through and so people were stopping in the street. It was like something out of a, out of a F. Night Shyamalan movie or something. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't understand what was going on because it was clearly a realistic sound of the sea but they were in the middle of a busy traffic street.
0: So it wasn't a, a halting of the brakes, shocked stop. It was a pleasant, my goodness, what's yeah. that kind of stop?
1: Yeah, it was It was a curious, what the hell is going on here? How and amazing. in theory, yeah. it shouldn't have worked because it was quieter than, I mean, it was really quiet compared, compared to the traffic noise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: I mentioned the Guardian report, and you're quoted in there as saying, there were no arrests for the first time ever. Nobody at AE in Brighton Hospital. It was mind-bending. Um, he said we even did a brand-new version of Human League's Brain Board as we slowed it down imperceptibly over five minutes until it stopped. People started started off dancing to it and then slow jamming, then throwing voguing shapes. It was Halloween, <laughs> so everyone was in fancy dress. But it's a massive statement, that. I mean, we talk all the time about soundscapes and the power of sound on the Quiet Mart podcast, but saturday nights all right for fighting is a famous line but you you stopped the
1: fighting that's quite something yeah first time ever literally the police came along and said there is no uh, we're going to deploy the the vans full of dogs elsewhere because there's no in their words there's no prospect of any trouble here tonight amazing uh, went to other parts of the city the temptation is to think that it was like um just a bunch of kind of whale song or something, or you're in some kind of, you know, outdoor spa. It wasn't that at all. We were trying all sorts of things. Uh, the wave thing was good. Uh, there was some like really abstract kind of electronic ambient stuff. But as as we mentioned, there was like Beyonce <laughs> Beyonce's Countdown, which is a pretty weird track in the first place, <laughs> to be honest. Um, was uh, slow. We slowed it down by half. Yeah, and. The interesting thing is, we wanted to know whether, and kept it at the same pitch, we were curious to know if people had even recognised it. And they did, and they were interested. But the interesting thing was, it didn't stop them engaging with people, their friends, other people. It just made the whole atmosphere better
0: amazing stuff. Um and of course Lisa went on to tell me that this West Street story became a study through the Noise abatement society which has been which is available to club districts throughout the world. I I recall she said um Montreal had picked it up for example. So it's fantastic that it's not just applicable to a single area.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, I mean I would love it. I, I know that Lisa has presented this as part of uh, her work and um, hold on a sec, I've got a phone call. Oh, oh sorry. God. Why do people? Nobody ever rings me, right? <laughs> it's always Except when you buy a microphone. A
0: podcast. <laughs> I know it's so true. Oh. You're right. Do you need to go or you're? So I've
1: got my Apple Watch. I've got my phone going, and it's on my computer screen. I've got that. Really. Oh yeah, oh, I know what I was saying. Yeah, Lisa uh, uh, does this uh, presents various cases around the world. um, and uh, as part of the positive soundscaping kind of movement, mm-hmm. which is all about, all about improving the sound quality in cities in, in, cities in particular. That's right. They're places, they're places of great stress. And so this has been presented by Lisa as a case study, fully documented, fully um, academically verified by University of Sussex.
0: At the beginning, Martin, I talked about you founding Illustrious Company uh, in 2000. And on your website, it says that you offer the most immersive sonic augmented reality available. I used to create visual uh, augmented reality as it happens. And uh, you've worked on, it says, over 60 unique new projects using 3D sound composition have been created and exhibited or performed worldwide over the last 14 years. I wanted to ask if you were to share a standout project, the first one that springs to mind, what do you think it might be?
1: Um, there have been so many um, The biggest one Was um, the one that we did In the centre of Mexico City um, Which was called Sound, um, Sound Oasis And it was 24 hours Of a 3D Composition in a square Outside the famous Opera house in central centre of Mexico City Called Palazzo de Beas Artes I've
0: been, I've seen the uh, murals oh, of Diego and- Rivera in there
1: no, they are. amazing, isn't it? Oh, it's the murals are incredible. Fantastic. Um, so, and, yeah, so we we basically covered the whole of that square, the gardens there. We put in a 38.10 system uh, of giant PA speakers on, on uh, three different levels. Uh, so the whole square was covered. So it's like about 150 metres squared by about 25 metres high. Um, it's the biggest physical soundscape we've, we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did 12 two-hour pieces by different sound artists who were commissioned to create pieces in three-dimensional sound based on the sounds of Mexico City. Uh, I curated it all together with my friend Francesca. Mm-hmm. can't remember her Um uh And it was paid for by Banamex, which is the biggest bank in Mexico. Um, and it was an amazing success i mean people were turning up at you know at 4 in the morning to hear their favorite you know artist piece wow uh, we did we did a piece based on the barrel organ players in the square uh, uh where we used their barrel organ sounds and and repurposed them to make it sound uh, like they were improvising around us amazing uh and then there were people like uh, the sound artist Fenez who did um, he recorded the sound of snails emerging from the gardens after a giant thunderstorm, <laughs> and then blew it up, blew it up to the size of like you know, the equivalent of a like a hundred foot high snail crawling across the square. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, there were there was all sorts of. I mean, there was a there was a uh, my friend Chris Watson, who you probably know about. Yes, ex- Cabaret Balter, World's leading um, uh, real-world sound recordist, uh, nature sound recordist, works with uh, David Attenborough all the time, and, and great train journeys of the world as well. And he did this uh, rail journey ac- uh, on on the last rail journey ever on this now defunct line mm-hmm. uh, across, Mex- across Mexico, and he did the entire train journey in two hours in full immersive sound. Oh uh, in word. the square Amazing. and so on and so forth though so, you know the the now unfortunately passed away uh marion amache who's like a legendary sound artist and was from the 60s uh she created a piece and i basically helped all these people produce using our software produce the 3d soundscapes for the square i'm fascinated with you know oral history mm-hmm. a lot of the projects that i do um you know, you basically get known for doing certain things, and then other people ask you to do things in a similar vein, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems that a, a naturally organic—none of this was planned—but a naturally organic kind of thread for me has been uh, uh, soundscapes in three dimensions with several uh, conceptual layers. So you'd end it. You, you, you start with a, a kind of compositional layer, right, uh, and yeah. and then maybe. Almost always, we we have spoken word, some description, uh, and this enables a kind of sense of recognition amongst the listeners. And we we create a kind of soundtrack around the meaning of whatever the the, the, the theme of the, uh, the the thing is. So it's like a soundtrack to an imaginary film, really. Lovely. Uh, but in the open air, and we can render all this in binaural as well for headphones. Okay. Um, for for like online uh, and then the the third layer is normally sound effects or fan sound to enhance the uh illusion and it's all in three dimensions so i would say there are lots and lots of sound artists out there and three-dimensional sound is becoming more popular all the time yeah. There's a lot of stuff that emerges from uh, academic practice and, you know, Tom Meister and all that stuff, yeah. which is very much like uh, The Wire magazine, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's not really me, I have to say. I'm, I I find it interesting. But mine is much more about, I call it sonic muralism. Hmm. Uh, so it's more about, I regard it as sonic art uh, by the people. For the people, so I, love I it. there's an awful lot of um, I I I try to incorporate kind of community participation in the in the spoken word thing a lot of the time as well because I'm a socialist, proud socialist, and uh, I think it's a way that I I think when you give people when you embolden people to mm-hmm. to be creative, they are fascinated with they become emotionally engaged. Yes, and uh, uh, and I think it's a good thing to do anyway. You know, I think everybody's story is interesting. I think everybody's story. I treat everybody equally. We get on better, in fact, with our dustbin men than we do with any of the posh people in where I (laughs) live in London, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think part of that is because I grew up in Sheffield, you know, in a poor environment. But um, it's just my socialist beliefs. And I try and um, create an environment where people feel comfortable contributing. I also think... um, from the point of you know you get to you know, on a more practical side it, when you're when you're looking for funding from places like the arts council or wherever you, you know they always ask you what's your reach right yeah or what's your proposed reach mm-hmm. and i don't i don't like th- that being a box ticking exercise i want what i do to reach as many people as possible i'd like i'd, I'd quite like dogs to like it as well or you know any any sentient creature uh or or babies very old people any ethnicity you know if if i do a spoken word piece yeah and it's based in a different country i always try and make it bilingual at least um so yeah it's not just about the sound of stuff that's that to me is like the base layer of what i'm doing i'm looking to find out how this interacts with um with 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 meaning for people and and emotions
0: You mentioned there and leading on from that uh your roots in in sheffield um when on a rare outing martin in 2020 when i went out with my wife we went to the design museum and we saw the show on there which is called electronic from from craft work to the chemical brothers And uh, there was some great stuff about Kraftwerk and uh, the German band Neu, both coming from Dusseldorf, which is quite an industrial town. And Kraftwerk's music is sort of famously industrial electronica. And coming out of steel producing Sheffield, there's you with uh, the Human League. And there's Cabaret Voltaire, who we've mentioned, who again had these sort of quite industrial sounding beats and so on. And is that a coincidence that people from industrial towns are making industrial music?
1: Uh, no, in fact, I just did a. Uh, I, I just did a, a podcast on my podcast, electronically uh-huh. yours, with Martin Ware. It's a fantastic
0: podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I just did an interview with um, uh, Stephen Malinder, Mal from uh, Cabaret Voltaire, and we were discussing this between us. They were clearly uh, aggressively industrial sounding. They were using largely processing and tape and tape manipulation uh and and kind of you know grinding guitars and stuff live uh, In fact recording as well uh, our approach to it was more kind of from a pure kind of synthesizer direction and some tape manipulation to be fair, mm-hmm. but it's only later uh, being wise after the fact, really, I think that we realized that um you know when you grow up you just think everywhere's like where you lived, don't you yeah, I did anyway. Yeah, I, sure. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't thinking, oh, we're in, living in an unusual place.
0: Especially in a pre internet age where you can't see the world through Instagram. It's just what you see on your, on your chop a bike.
1: I, I, I never, I, I didn't even have a holiday <laughs> away from home. Uh, I mean, a week's holiday with my parents in my life. We didn't have enough no? money. Wow, so okay. I, I did day trips with, with my, with, uh, my uh, father's works to the seaside, which was great. But there were one day trip a year. You know, so mm. I didn't really have any experience. It was I was I was sixteen before I went to London.
0: Goodness. Okay. You
1: know, So um that was quite uh I didn't I didn't feel isolated. It's just it was the same for pretty much everybody, to be honest, at that point. Mm. Um and so but what what happened was I lived quite close to the city centre. And I don't know, have you been to Sheffield? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, right. So in the city centre, there's quite a lot of, and still actually, quite a lot of um, semi-derelicts and empty properties. A lot have been taken over by kind of trendy, re, you know, kind of um, repurposing uh, stuff. But back when I was growing up in the 70s, they were empty. And there a lot of them were little industrial uh, finishing shops, you know, tool finishers yeah. or uh, cutlery, mani- you know, small cutlery finishers. Uh, they were called Little Mesters, and uh, it was usually a one-man operation, and they'd make, you know, they'd do everything from finishing, uh, doing the fine finishing on on existing kind of factory stuff, mm-hmm. or they make things like pen knives from scratch, you know, In uh, or, you know, small industrial units. A lot of those were empty, but a lot of them were still working when I was growing up, so you'd walk through the city centre and you'd hear... I mean, the, the the basic soundscape was um, grinding sounds. Right. That was it. That was the rhythm of you know, your you life everywhere. Right. Okay. It was just everywhere. And then, in addition to that, you'd hear traveling down the valleys in Sheffield because it's built on seven hills. Traveling down the valleys, particularly in the in a quiet evening in summer, you'd hear the the uh, the booming infrasound from the drop forges. In the, in the valleys near the river in Attica, I've got images
0: images from the Full Monty where the guys are all sort of on the hills surrounding those forges. Yeah. That, that's how I'm sort of seeing yeah, yeah. it. Yeah,
1: And on, the, on a still night, that sound, which is like a kaboom, kaboom, it's like a heartbeat, right? Mm. I can remember laying in my bed in my two-up, two-down house Yeah, listening to this, um, which I, I didn't know what the sound was, but I, I, it sounded like a heartbeat to me. And I realized that must have sunk very deeply into my subconscious.
0: Absolutely. It must have done. It must
1: have done. So so, so whereas other people are approaching things like found sound, if they go and study music or whatever, or experimental music, they, they regard it as a kind of intellectual pursuit. For me, it was just part of everyday life. It was it was more common to hear that than it was to hear someone playing a guitar or a piano.
0: talking of things that are seeping into your consciousness uh i'm reading sweet dreams the the story of the new romantics by dylan jones at the moment which you're featured in and uh it's amazing how it kind of starts in 1975 and of course everyone is talking about bowie and roxy music who i imagine whilst the steel was pulsing in the background you were probably listening to those artists and with david bowie of course you went on to work with the VNA show and you it says you converted David Bowie's album sales figures into yes. audio sonifications for the David Bowie is show which i loved i bought the t-shirt i got the book i absolutely love that <laughs> show but i want to know were you a David Bowie and Roxy Music fan and how do you oh, conver- very, and how can you convert life, album sales into my sound changed.
1: my my life changed when uh, the first Roxy album came out uh, i saw I saw Roxy seven six times before Eno left live.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh,
1: and uh, it was at the most kind of formative um, stage of my musical development. Uh, me and Phil Oki went to, um, we were best buddies at the time, and, and we would get dressed up in our glam clothes and, um, <laughs> and, and go and watch them, you know, and uh, it blew our minds, especially Eno yeah uh who uh i'm not surprised that that him and ferry fell out because it was it was an epic piece of upstaging you know nobody was looking at ferry nobody you know just looked like an a a a martian yeah absolutely you look like a gay martian you know um And it kind of appealed to us because we were kind of sexually ambivalent at the time as well. (laughs) Uh, Didn't really know what the hell was going on. You don't when you're 17. Of course not. 18, it's like. Um, And, you know, we love the music as well and blah, blah, blah. And we were gutted when Eno left.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it started going downhill quite rapidly after that. Mm. It's a bit like when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, you know. Yeah, I Um, fully agree. Um. And Bowie of course is just a constant he's the kind of uh rock and he he he's the he's the 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 kind of um gold standard around which we judge everything for, uh, for, for the human league for m seventeen doesn't mean we want to be exactly like him that's a different thing entirely it's like the the um shall we say the paradigm of his creativity authenticity flexibility uh eclecticism uh quality of his work was just non-pare you know did you meet him yeah do you not know that story i've not heard about this so we were performing at the nashville rooms i think it was in uh, near Earls court in 1978 and uh the dressing room was floor-to-ceiling graffiti. You know, he had sticky carpets, all the usual things, you know. It was a real, a real punk dive, right? Yeah. And he uh, didn't even have a, uh, a door on the dressing room. That's how grim it was.
0: I've played a few. Go on.
1: Right. So, a quarter of an hour before we due to go on stage, who walks in but David Bowie, unannounced, into our dressing room. <laughs> and... With an entourage of about, and, and the dressing room could only hold about 15 at maximum, you know. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, somebody took a photo of the event, or else people nobody would believe me. It does actually exist that photo. I've got it in my Wonderful. collection somewhere of me having a chat with uh, me having a chat with Bowie while he's having a fag. And uh, can you imagine how nervous we were? Oh my god, you must have been, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah, so anyway, we went on stage, we knocked it out of the park. He loved it, and the following week in NME, it said, Uh, he was in NME in the news, uh, a uh, bit saying, Uh, the Human League of the Future of Music. Wow, uh, job done! Thanks very much.
0: Yeah, that is the best testimonial ever,
1: ever. But, but, but it's an even better thing that I found out three months ago. Yeah, um, about, t- about a month before we played that gig, uh, we we uh, did a sold, uh, a sold-out show at the Marquee Club in, in Soho. Uh, and I found out about uh, about a month or three months ago, somebody told me that he, he was uh, trying to get hit, get in and it was sold out. Oh. It was a massive walk-up. And, um, and um, two of the people who got turned away because it was way beyond its fire capacity were David Bowie and Iggy Pop. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah,
0: but you got yeah. to meet him. Incredible, isn't you it? got to meet him. And so, how do you convert his yeah, albums? So, how do you convert his album sales figures into sonification? That's numbers and music.
1: I've always been obsessed with intros to songs. I, I think it's a it's a lost art, or it's becoming a lost art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this idea to create a is to to capture a whole bunch of intros from um, from from his songs throughout his career, right? And use that as the kind of source material for the soundscape. Uh, and then I had to think of a way to use the three D sound system to 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 make it into to give it another layer of meaning. So I thought I had this theory that um, that. Back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, the, the commonly held belief was that if you wanted to have a hit, if you made a song happier and faster, then you had more chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that still holds true, but that seemed to be the case then. Mm-hmm. So I had, this, I had this idea, I would analyse the BPM and the percentage of major major chords yeah. in the, the songs right um, in each of the albums and see if that correlated with sales <laughs> and and so I did this with a, a friend of mine from uh, University of Plymouth who's a uh, uh, amongst other things a statistician. and we did this graph and I uh, cut a long story short, the graph correlated completely until let's dance. When the two lines on the graph started diverging unbelievably.
0: Well, that has one of the most famous intros of all time. That are uh, uh, the build, yeah, 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 but yeah. but so what's that causing in the graph?
1: So it's not it, right. So if you imagine this, so you're going start of the career, space oddity, hunky dory, sales increase, amount of I had this this uh, this um, algorithm which was basically. Tempo times percentage of major chords. Right. Is like this algorithm. Yeah, yeah. And it gave you a gave you a number. So that that number was mapped. So clearly it correlated up until that point. From that point on, Bowie, I cracked America, right? Yes. So he was obviously had enormous pressure to deliver the goods from And MTV
0: came on. out as well, which just boosted yeah. sales massively, of course.
1: Yeah. So his, I reckon, his record company, particularly in America, were going. You need to write more hits now. You've got to keep this going. So his, the speed of his tracks increased. The amount of major key increased. The key, the key effect is, I think he, he was being pushed by his record company to create more and more success. Obviously, based on this big breakthrough. Yeah. Right. So he, 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 the, the uh, happiness quotient, let's call it, started, he started pumping more and more of that into his work, but with less and less sales from that point on throughout his career. And I reckon that's the analogy of mm. that. The metaphor is uh, putting your foot to the floor in a car and the petrol's running out.
0: That's so interesting. That is so interesting.
1: I've actually got the, I've got the stat that as part of the exhibition, the stats were all over the wall in massive spreadsheets. I spent a a month on that. analyzing. This this doesn't,
0: is not a normal question for the quiet Mark podcast, but the music fan in me has to ask this. There's always a question where where someone's made a hit, like be my baby, you know, Phil Spetch. And you, you, you know, that they're standing in the studio going, Oh my God, we've got a huge hit on our hands. I was cycling this morning and I was listening to Heaven 17 and your podcast in preparation for chatting with you today. And just on shuffle came Temptation, Heaven 17's most played song on Spotify. When you were in the studio listening to that playback, you knew you had a number one on your hands,
1: right? Um, Well, we didn't know we got a number one on our hands, uh, but we were utterly convinced it was a hit. And in fact, we had to persuade the record company to release it. No way. Yeah. Yes, way. We begged them, and they said, well, we're not sure. And the main reason was they didn't have Carol Kenyon under contract. It was, uh-huh. a, it was a money thing. Uh, uh-huh. They were worried that they would have to fork out a huge amount of money to, to it. and it was just, they felt it, it, it made them feel uncomfortable. I said, just put the thing out. It's a massive hit, I guarantee. They even sent it away to be remixed in America. Uh, by the guy who did Joe Jackson's uh, big hit. What was stepping it? out? No, no. Um, um,
0: don't you know that it was different for different girls, or is she really going out with him? Girls.
1: Different for girls. Right. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, uh Kirshenbaum, Dave Dave Kirshenbaum, Right. They sent it. Uh, they sent the multitrack out to America for it to be mixed as a single. I said, "What's wrong with what we got here?" <laughs> anyway, so they did. And he came back, and it was an absolute mess. It was rubbish. Oh, no. And so we went into... We stormed into Simon Draper's office, who was head of A&R at Virgin, and said, you know, drop us if you like, but put this out. We guarantee it's a hit. It's a solid gold hit. I'm surprised it even went anywhere. It's unbelievable that they even thought not to do it, you know. And, um, of course, they put it out, and I remember... With great satisfaction, the famous, the famous uh, phone call. Uh, I phoned up the sales department at, um, and John Webster is a very famous guy. Uh, very, he famous. was at sales at the time. Yeah, uh, uh, I said, "How's it going, John?" This was midweek, and he said, "The classic words is pissing out." <laughs> 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 they couldn't, they couldn't press it fast enough. Well. It was selling. Between ten and fifteen thousand copies a day.
0: One of those was Woolworths in uh, Hemel Hempstead with Simon Gosling, aged about thirteen, buying it. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that memory.
1: Well, you, you and a, you and a couple of million. I know, million <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, and 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 anyway, so the you know, the rest is history. But um, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that one I really appreciate that and, uh, but bringing it back to more sort of Quiet Mark themes um, I want to say this you know on a previous episode of the Quiet Mark podcast one of our guests was an ambient musician called Yoko Sen and her company Sen Sound is uh, dedicated to transforming the sound in hospitals it's uh, an amazing story of hers yeah. and on the subject of healthcare I read that you're using 3D sound to explore Alzheimer's so how's that coming along?
1: Okay, so um, it's a continuous theme. It's not an an active research project at the moment. But we did a project, again, funnily enough, in the University of Plymouth, um, where they had a weekend where they had various composers composing uh, pieces of music around the theme or or cognizance of Alzheimer's, um, Alzheimer's sufferers. And they were invited a lot of alzheimer's sufferers and their carers mm-hmm. to a concert which we con- which i installed a 3d sound rig and i performed a piece that i composed for it called recapture which was based around the notion of reminiscence and how much that helps a lot of alzheimer's sufferers reconnect with their what what they have as their existing memories okay uh, so i created a 3d sound uh composition Based around songs associated with memory, mm-hmm. nothing inappropriate, you know, uh, all, all, all very gentle stuff. I created an ambient soundscape to accompany all this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I performed live with it as well. Oh, okay. And um, of all the pieces that were played in that series of concerts over that weekend, um, I had several people coming up to me afterwards, uh, carers and and other lecturers going... We saw several people in the audience crying and um, it touched them in some way. So I was very happy with that. Mm. And I'm very keen to, Mm. if anybody's listening to this, to continue working on this theme.
0: Finally, Martin, uh, after you've uh, so kindly answered all our questions here, but my last one I, I prepared was what made you buy a synth? Not a guitar or a bass or a drum kit, but a synth to start an electronic band in
1: 1977. Um, Right. I always loved anything that felt futuristic. And this is way before I ever thought I'd be a musician. Um, So the first thing I bought, I wanted to be Eno, basically. Mm. Um, But the the rock music version of Eno. Um, And um, so the first thing I bought was a, when I, when I, got my first job when I was 17. And I had, for the first time in my life, some spare money. I bought a dual stylus stylophone uh, uh, so I could play with my friends at Meet Whistle, all the arts arts workshop yeah. place I went to yeah. and pretend I was in a band and I'd be the, you know, of the band. You know? <laughs> Was,
0: was uh, the stylophone the thing that was advertised by Rolf Harris? There was kind of one in every home yeah. in the early 70s.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the version I had was like a kind of prosumer version. Okay. So it had two, it had two styluses,
0: mm-hmm.
1: lot, uh, some different sounds. It was a bigger unit. It was about okay. the size of a laptop, but deeper. And um, it, it, it also had a, a, a photoelectric Wawa. Amazing. Amazing. And, yeah, it's quite advanced for its time. And that yeah. was my first uh, uh, experiment into electronic sound. And then, of course... When I started taking it a bit more seriously, and my friend Ian Marsh from uh, we st- we formed a band called The Future before the Human League, and we started doing serious stuff. Um, he he actually had built his own synthesizer from a Deutron kit, uh, which was like a, a kind of do-it-yourself synthesizer kit. Wow! And uh, which was really rare at that time. It was very practical electronics kind of territory. Yeah, magazine. Um, it couldn't do much apart from make motorbike noises, but yeah, <laughs> uh, you couldn't really tune it. It, 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 was, it. So anyway, I thought, well, this was round about the time when entry-level synthesizers were coming onto the market from Roland and Korg. Yep. So I'd, my first synth, which I'm looking at right now, is a Korg 700S.
0: you still got it there. Fantastic. Yeah,
1: I, I'm using it. Yeah, I use it all the time. Brilliant. And, and the Roland System 100, which is modular. And uh, they're still the best two cents I've ever had. You know. Fantastic. And they're from nineteen seventy, mid mid seventies. And um that's not a nostalgia thing, that's just the actual sound of is, yeah. is better components, you know, stuff.
0: But it came from it stemmed from Eno. You weren't like a... So it wasn't yes, it... it wasn't a classically trained pianist in you that thought I wanna play synth. It was because you were just so amazed by Brian Eno.
1: Uh, and, sa- and the sa- and sound.
0: And the sound, yeah. I'm yes. not,
1: I, I Yeah, I've never had a music lesson in my life.
0: Unbelievable.
1: I can't read music. I can't read music, write music, uh, if except I, on a digital station.
0: Where do you think the same level of inventiveness in music is happening in 2021?
1: Um, That's a very good question it's happening everywhere uh but the one thing when i'm teaching my students i'm i'm urging them to do is to look beyond their immediate context because it's overwhelming the amount of content that's available now Mm. Mm. Uh, so really what you need to do is to curate your own influences
0: Amy Winehouse famously says that before she could have access to everything which Spotify gives us she had her dad's singles box and she got to know the greats the Sarah Vaughan's the Billy Holidays and she that's all she knew and from that yeah. we get Amy who's such a, a prod, an amazing jazz yeah. singer in her own right and I think you're right I sometimes think to cherish less is more sometimes
1: yeah there's a i mean I call it option paralysis you know, mm. well, it's a very common trait now with young composers. They are so overwhelmed by, the, by, by everything that's on offer to them. They go for something normally quite safe and banal. Mm. And they, they, they struggle to either A, understand that they need to move outside their comfort zone, or B, even if they understand it, to actually make it manifest. Hmm. because they go well what do you do do you just go all right i'll devote a day to listening to you know glam rock <laughs> or uh you know it, it just feels uncomfortable so what they end up doing is going oh, i know who's selling most
0: yeah Tiesto.
1: you know uh you know uh calvin harris
0: hmm.
1: you know it's that kind of level of Right, I, this is a much deeper subject, which probably uh, uh, needs a different kind of podcast to get into. <laughs> I think I think big data is incredibly evil because it, it the the presumption is that it gives you a kind of magic key to unlock the meaning of, of 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 stuff. Whereas it's it's much it's a bit like saying big data is about uh is the equivalent of learning the rules of chess. You, you know, you need to play. 30 years worth of chess to become half decent. Exactly. I
0: have to share my thought on that one. I would love, I'd love to share with you. I used to work with uh, uh, in advertising, creating ads, and you know, YouTube and Google were making ads for people. And it was kind of this letra set of, uh, we know that, you know, it was like there needs to... It, because of skip, skip, play, everything's got to happen in the first three seconds. So you need to see a baby, a horse, or a cat in the first three seconds. And at 10 seconds, we need this to happen. And this is almost as if, I, you know, from my point of view, Stock Ake and Walkman had this letter set, and look what happened to them. It's just yeah. formulaic and boring. And then Oasis and Blur come along and blur, blow them out the window. And I say, if Big Data was around, Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush would never have got made or released, you know?
1: absolutely but uh, i'd go further than that i'd say from my perspective i would have never had a career
0: yeah no i can Be, it, being
1: boiled would never have
0: been released
1: i would have been a hobbyist
0: yeah it's it, it is an evil thing in that respect i i'm with it's, you but it, but then difficult. again then again there is the this system where people can release anything they want now you don't need a record company permitting you to release it so there is a democratization that works against yeah. that i, I hope
1: well, of course you can Release anything i could i could release i could literally play a piece of music now and have it released on every platform mm. within three days mm-hmm. but what what does that mean the function of record companies now is is internet marketing it's not it's not about sales because sales uh, you know the distribution network is free and quick yeah. yeah 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 so it's about you know what you buy if you ever sign to a a big record label it's because of their marketing cloud it's not because they don't give you any advances or very little in terms of advances they don't support your creative development no they're just they're, uh, they're just a, an orange juicy yeah 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 machine
0: well i was going to do a, a fluff freeman style exit there or an alan partridge one which was to say on the subject of orange juice let's rip it up and uh End the show here, <laughs> Martin. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the uh, on on the Quiet Mark podcast. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I wish you every success in the future with what you're doing.
1: Thank you, and you too.
0: Thank you so much to Martin Ware for taking the time to talk to the Quiet Mark podcast. We thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, I hope you did too. So, from a discussion about soundscapes to a soundscape which takes place on my balcony where there's a bit of construction going on to the right and you can hear a bit of birdsong and children playing to the left as we get towards the end of May, the beginning of June. I recorded that conversation three months ago with Martin and I wouldn't have been able to step out onto my balcony then it was far too cold but the weather's starting to warm up a bit just as lockdown eases and things start to return to some kind of normality. I love that creative process and it's really interesting to hear how Martin along with Vince Clark have evolved from doing music, amazing music, uh, to soundscapes which are filling up places as we heard like Mexico City Square and uh, West Street in Brighton. Or the V&A Museum, the David Bowie exhibition. What an amazing combination, taking sounds, music, voice, spoken word, combining in such ways that, as we heard, can make people stop in their tracks in the streets of Brighton, or create a more peaceful, post-clubbing atmosphere on a Saturday night, as we heard. The power of sound really is quite extraordinary. And that's why it's so important that we don't overlook acoustics and sound design in products, places, and buildings. When we launched our Acoustics Academy a year ago, we named it an academy because we knew that it would be a place of learning. In addition to being a directory where architects, designers, home builders can go to find acoustically verified products, it also has a mission to position acoustics higher on the architectural agenda. And the only way you can do that is through education. And it's important because when buildings sound good, they feel good. And feeling good is an integral part of our well-being and our mental health. I was recently very happy to be appointed to the Well Building Institute's Home and Sound Advisory Boards. And during an introductory Zoom call with the Home Advisory Group, I met an architect called Minel Palmer. And with her husband, Minel has an architecture firm called Wellspace Architects, whose vision is to create happier and healthier lives. On their website, there's an interesting note about well-being and health. It says that one in four people suffer from mental health issues. One of the biggest factors is the environment we are in. We spend 90% of our time indoors, and 65% of this is in our homes. Poor housing costs the NHS 1.4 billion per year. The pandemic has only exaggerated the impact on people's physical and mental health due to poor living conditions. Much of the existing housing stock out of the 29 million in the UK is not designed with health and well-being in mind. So at QuietMark, we're delighted to see that well certification will now be applied to residential housing. And a couple of final notes to finish with. In the program, you heard me mention that we'd recently been voted one of the top 20 best health podcasts in the UK. So I'd love to take this opportunity to thank everyone who's listened to the show and all our guests who've taken the time to appear on the show. Of course, it's always nice to get some recognition. But really, what's most pleasing is to know that the podcast is reaching a wider audience. We set it up to raise the topic of acoustics on the agenda. And it's great to know that an audience is hearing that. And hopefully, in its own way, it's starting to make a difference. And the last note is Quiet Times, your sonic news bulletin. You may have heard on the last episode that we were about to publish the first issue. Well, I'm glad to say it's been published. It's been very well received. Thank you to everyone who subscribed to it. And if you'd like to subscribe to Quiet Times, you can find a sign-up link on the homepage at quietmark.com. Thank you again for listening. I hope that with spring being at its midway point, lockdowns coming down and our ability to start going out to places like museums and cinemas and enjoying life outside, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, I hope you're surrounded by wonderful sonic soundscapes. All the best. Take care. Bye bye.